All right, hello and welcome to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football. In Portugal, you're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? Yeah, I'm all right, man. Yeah? I'm good. You said that with your head in your hands. <laughs> I just drank the drink and went down the wrong hole. <laughs> I didn't want to cough. No, I'm all right, man. I'm not ill anymore, actually, so there you go. Makes a change, but you're back on the bedroom floor. Yes, yeah. I'll be here for a while. How are you doing? You are right? Yeah, good. Very good. Just bought a Nintendo Switch, so that's a big part of my life now. Um, I did buy FIFA 2022. You know, I've only played it for 20 minutes and just already feeling like the biggest waste of 25 quid I've ever spent. <laughs> you're going to get on the career mode, though. Absolutely. Well, that's the whole thing. I'm going to get onto the career mode. I'm going to do, I think I'm going to do Maritimo because mm. um, there's a lot of potential there. There's a lot of good players. Um, yeah, I'm going to try and build a dynasty with the Madeira team, I think. Well, my my PlayStation controller is broken. The L1 button doesn't work. So, But you can still bang out career mode. You know, you don't have to play the games. <laughs> <laughs> if I was clever, I'd play football manager. But honestly, I just have not got the intelligence for that game. Yeah, I'm the exact same boat. I just yeah, I haven't got the intelligence or the patience for football manager. Um, Once every couple of years, I download the free demo and just put it back on the shelf for another two years. I've done for now. <laughs> well, look, it's a very special episode today because it's a Tassel de Portugal special. Um, obviously, we just had the international break and now we're back with domestic football action in Portugal. Tassel de Portugal, there's some great games. We're going to talk about a good chunk of those games, some giant killings some dominant performances from the big team. So plenty of that to come. But Barney, I wanted to start this show somewhere else because we've just come from the international break. Now, we don't usually get involved in Portugal national team chat because quite frankly, there are people far more qualified to talk about that than us. There's plenty of great podcasts out there if you want to get your weekly dose of Portugal national team conversation. Um, We're also not Portugal national team fans, so it would be a bit hypocritical of us to, to talk about them. But... I couldn't help but notice, of course, that Portugal had a very tough time uh, in the most recent international break, obviously struggling against Ireland and Serbia, and now have to go into the World Cup playoffs to even qualify. Lots of people online talking about getting rid of the manager. Fernando Santos looks like his days might be numbered. And lots of people talking online about how can Portugal have such a poor manager when there's so many great Portuguese managers. And it made me think, Barney, if Portugal were to look for a new manager... Where better to shop around for the next best Portuguese manager than in the Primera Liga, the breeding ground for these great managers? So if you were in charge of appointing the next Portugal national team manager and you had to pick from the current crop of Primera Liga managers, who would you choose and why? Well, I I don't know if you've gone for the same, but I've gone for a sort of an obvious choice and then I've I've gone for perhaps a less obvious choice that I would potentially pick. But for me, Albert, it's got to be, well, if you're a sporting fan you or Benfica, perhaps you wouldn't, but it's got to be conscious out, right? Yes, it, I agree. I agree. It absolutely has to be him. Like We saw what he can do in competition football in the Champions League last season. I feel like he's shown that he can put a team together. You know, he, he can adapt to the competition. When they were playing Juventus, who were a much, much um, stronger team in terms of quality of players, he got his tactics spot on. But also... What we've seen a bit more this season, I would say, as well, is the lesser teams. They're, they're putting in far more dominant performances. And that's the one thing that I've, I hear a lot of people talking about the Portugal team is that, you know, they, they, they don't perform well against the big teams, but then they're, they're not also performing convincingly enough against the smaller teams. Yeah, I agree. I think the one the one caveat I would have about Sergio Conceição is that very point that I think Portugal national team fans want to see their team playing on the front foot, utilising that talent. And I will be the first to admit that that's not really Conceição's game. but I think 
he is just perfect for for tournament football. Mm. And that's what he proved in the Champions League last year. He was perfect for that knockout football when all the stakes rely on that one game. He was able to, you know, galvanise the group. The, the, the team bonding, the team mentality was fantastic. Everyone was fighting for each other. And that's really what got Porto through all those rounds. I think also, obviously, because you're pretty much choosing from the big three, right? So if you compare him to Amarim and George Jesus, George Jesus, I mean, he's not actually a bad shout at all. He's very experienced. And for me, I think experience is really important when it comes to managing the national mm. team. But we do have all these rumours about him robbing players up the wrong way. And I just feel like that's not a good trait in, in a national team manager. You do need to be able to, like I say, keep your group very close-knit because you don't have them very often. You know, you have to be, when you have that team with you, you have to be able to work with them. And Amarim, he look, he's going to be a great manager. But yeah, for me, experience is, is vital. And I think when your manager is younger than your best player, I, I just don't think that's a good thing. From an outsider looking at the Portugal team, I would also say that their, their squad is very much a mix of players like Ronaldo, like João Moutinho, perhaps Daniel Pepe, very much still decent players, but coming to the end of their career. And then you've also peppered that with some really exciting youngsters coming through. If you could, if you say that they're going through a transitional stage and they're about to come up out of this, the old guard, and it's very much the new guard coming in. In that sense, who better than Amaran? Mm, you true. know, we've seen what he can do with bringing young players through. Yeah, I mean, that that was my only other thought. Oh, going back to Quantrasal quickly, how realistic do you think it is, or, or what what time scale do you see him potentially taking the the the, the, the national team job? Because for me, it, you know. I definitely see him there at some point. I don't know how soon, but he's got to be aiming for that at some point. Well, personally, Barney, I've by prepping for this section of the show, I completely talked myself into the fact that now he is the perfect choice, right? So he has to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I do genuinely think he's a viable option, right? Because one, you know, the, the kind of managers that people are talking about coming in, uh, Andre Villas-Boas, uh, Paolo Fonseca, these are the kind of available managers at the moment. To be fair, they're going to come with a high price tag. You know, and, and the Portuguese Federation doesn't have a lot of money to throw around. Sergio Contrasau, I believe, will be cheaper. I think he's a manager on the up, which is important as well. You know, he's a hungry manager. And I think it's a, it would be a good match. You know, he's the right level. He's got the he's got the characteristics, you know, he, he, he's attainable. And I think for him, and especially in his career, it would be a good move as well. I'm not so sure. I think it's too early. I don't know if being an international manager guarantees you... Um, good club jobs when you come to the end of your time as an international manager. I think he's got the potential to get a, a, a you know a big European club potentially in the near future rather than, you know, it's a, it's an interesting Should I do my less obvious choices that, that I put right down? On, I'm intrigued to hear this, go on. I, I, well, I know he's not here anymore, but I actually wrote down Daniel Ramos, you know, the old Santa Clara manager. Yeah, but yeah. Just because I felt like he, you know, he 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 always seemed to, you know, no matter what the opposition, I felt that Santa, that Santa Clara team always gave him a... A team's a decent game what we saw last season and then also I wrote um, Bruno Priniero for mm. National Prior because I, I just what that what he's doing now is so exciting and and sort of like a you know if, if you were if the Portuguese Football Federation you know appointed him you could say you, you know it could excite fans like this is a project this is but right now they don't need a project do they? they just need someone to get yeah. into that World Cup no I agree those are two good managers I think you know and we'll see those managers managing abroad Probably my wild card choices because, like I said, for me with the national team, experience is key. So I was kind of looking for that experienced manager who can maybe step up. Ivo Vieira was the only name that I mm. really came up with just because I feel like he's got that kind of, he's got those leadership skills, he's got that experience. And I feel like he would be able to handle some of the big names in the gesture room. But 
maybe he's not quite shown enough in his career to, to warrant Portugal national team manager. <laughs> who is the old Mourinho manager from last season who got sacked around this time? Lito Vidigal. <laughs> he's the man. Bring him in. <laughs> Portugal can shit out their way to their first World Cup. <laughs> well, look, it's all completely hypothetical. This is just a, just a little exercise for me and, and Barney. Obviously, I'm sure Portugal got a good manager lined up should they need one. Well, look, let's get on to, to what we came here for, Barney. Let's talk about the Tassa de Portugal. And it's a cup special. We're talking about the magic of the cup, all those cliches. So before we start, Barney, I've got a question for you. What are your favourite cup memories? <laughs> well, of course, all my cup memories are going to be of the FA Cup here in England. And I think mm. perhaps, you know, the, the reason I, I love it so much is because growing up, we never had Sky Sports, did we? Or, or BT Sports or anything like that. So, you know, when the FA Cup came on, TV for free. That, that was like one of the only times in the year you could get watch football and, and it was brilliant. I'll do one which I think you're going to talk about as well. But um I think my first match I watched in a pub was um in the FA Cup. It was Lane Orient v Arsenal, mm-hmm. um, yes. where they where they got the draw and the earned the replay. Albert, this is the thing. I, I remember the chant. He's bald. He's French. He scores scores him off the bench. What's his name? John Tahue. Jonathan Tahue. That was it. I've been thinking about that all week. I could not remember the guy's name. Well, let me let me tell the story, one because this is also my favourite cup moment of all time. And the reason we're talking about this is because we're trying to get across that the cup is special. You know, the cup is different to the league. There's all sorts of different things going on. And we're going to come on to what happened this week in just a second. But growing up, as Bonnie says, the FA Cup was so important. And I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast. The English team that I support is called Leighton Orient. They're a third or fourth division team in England, quite a small team. And one of the club's proudest moments came in 2011 in the FA Cup when they got drawn against Arsenal, right? This is a big game. Arsenal came to Leighton. Arsene Wenger sat in the dugout. You know, some big players played in that game. I remember Kieran Gibbs, uh, Bentner played, Arshavin played, Thomas Rosicki played, you know. These were all these were all big players coming to Leighton. And... Sorry, that's a lot of credit you've given to Kieran Gibbs right there. (laughs) (laughs) But but it was such an incredible experience. So if you can imagine, you know, all the Leighton fans are excited. We get drawn Arsenal. It's a big moment. This was my first season going to Leighton Stadium to watch games. And so we got drawn Arsenal and I really wanted a ticket, but I had no idea how to get tickets. So my tactic was on the day when the ticket office opened, I sat on the phone and and I... called up and I was on hold and I was on hold for like two hours and it took me two hours to realise that no one's answering the phones everyone's gone to the stadium there's queues around the block so you know by the time I realised what was happening no tickets were left so I didn't have any tickets so it was all about watching it on TV but it gave me one of the best footballing moments of my life and one definitely one of the best cup moments of my life because Arsenal went ahead Thomas Rosicki scored a header the smallest man on the pitch scored a header you know unbelievable but later on, playing really well. They're battling, they're fighting. They don't look completely out of it. And then as Barney says, Jonathan Touré comes on, our French striker. He's known for scoring goals late on. And he does what all player, all of those players dreamed of the night before. 88th minute, he gets the ball. He's got two players in front of him. He does a little one-two, left-right, shimmies through them and fires in that shot, which goes in and makes it 1-1. And the way the crowd respond in that moment is just incredible. Credit to... The commentator on that game because that commentary still gives me goosebumps whenever I watch it. The way the commentator calls it so perfectly, he just says, Jonathan Tahue, capable of anything. Tahue! 
Carroll. Jonathan Tahue. Capable of anything. Tahue! Equaliser for Leighton Orient! And it's the player from the French fourth division who has hauled Arsenal in. Barry Hearn leading the celebrations. And the crowd goes crazy and it's just an incredible moment. That 1-1 draw earned Leighton Orient a play, uh, a replay against Arsenal in the Emirates. I got tickets to that game. We got battered 5-0. Bentler scored a couple. Abu Dhabi scored two, I think. Kieran Gibbs played left mid. We got absolutely battered. But, you know, just an incredible moment. And just to add to this story, Barney, because my second best FA Cup moment came three rounds before that game when Leighton Orient played Droylsden a complete reversal of fortunes where Leighton Orient, this is before any of the Premier League teams are in the FA Cup, and Leighton Orient are in the second round against Droylsden, a team three or four divisions below, um, a non-league team. The players are not professionals, they're part-time, right? In the, We went to Droylsden and only drew one once, so they then got a replay in Leighton. To bear in mind, we're the big team now. You know, we're the giant team. And Droylsden go 2-0 up, not only 2-0 up, but, but one of our players gets a red card. So we're a man down and two goals down. We managed to get a goal back. And then we bring on um, Paul Jose Mpoku, 18-year-old Belgian winger on loan from Spurs. Uh, the most skillful player I've ever watched in the flesh. Incredible player. He, he gets the goal back in the 89th minute to make it 2-2. And we go into extra time. There's 30 minutes left. You can see the Jordan players' heads drop. They com- they're completely distraught that they've not held on to this win and they lose it. uh, Extra time kicks off. Uh, One of their players commits one of the worst fouls I've ever seen in my life. He shouldn't have got a red card for that foul. He should have gone to prison for a night for that foul. Let me tell you, it was awful. And we scored six goals in extra time. We won the game 8-2. Paul Jose and Poku just absolutely ripped this team to shreds. So who I got a hat-trick. I think another player called Scott McLeish got a hat-trick. But honestly, just these kind of moments between teams of of disparate positions in the pyramid that you never get. You know, Leighton Orient went on a run that season. We beat Norwich from the championship. We beat Swansea from the championship. And then we got drawn Arsenal over two legs. We got a million pounds from that two-legged tie against Arsenal. What does our owner do? Does he improve the academy? No. Does he improve the pitch? No. Does he upgrade the stands? No. He takes the players all to Vegas. And it's just like an incredible story. Where do you get these kind of stories anywhere other than in the cup? Well, that's the you, you know touched on there, didn't you? Like you know they have the two sides, where like if you're that smaller club, you know it, it's it's a it's like one of the most exciting days in the calendar, seeing the fixture list come for the FA Cup. You know, seeing mm. what what big team you could get. But they're also the other way around. I I, um, I had a lot of friends with Arsenal fans, so like in that game, you know there was a few youngsters given their opportunity in the cup, and that, it works both ways so if you're the big team you know you could see and you're a fan of the big teams you know you could see some players you wouldn't usually see it's 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 just so exciting isn't it and i actually found you know that you know watching these uh tasks of the portugal games just just exciting in some some cases that was a really good uh really good link barney Mm, (laughs) i know i've been working on that (laughs) because we really should talk about portuguese football that's what everyone came for Uh, and in the spirit of cup upsets giant killings 
glorious underdogs. We're going to start this week's Tustin Portugal special with not one, but two teams from the fourth division of Portuguese football, the iconic Campeonato de Portugal, who made it through to the last 16 of the Tassel of Portugal, USC Paredes, who beat Liga Tres side Torians 1-0, and Lesser, who beat Primera Liga outfit Gil Vicente 1-0 in an incredible cup upset to make it into the next round. We've got to start with Lesser, Barney, because getting into the final 16 is an incredible achievement for any fourth division club, but to do it by knocking out a Primera Liga team is something very special. Yeah, and just to sort of, because I don't know, but yeah, there's been a lot of change in the Portuguese league, so there's currently three divisions uh obviously the premier league league pro league of three is the new one this one and then below that you have uh the fourth tier which is actually made up of six regional mini leagues so lesser are from um one of these mini leagues at the fourth tier of portuguese football they're currently third in their, in their regional league they've played five games one three draw one lost one and then yeah i was looking like what their cup journeys have been like in the past last year went out in the first round you know, I don't think anybody's mm. expecting the run they've had. And if you look at, you know, this year, the first round, they beat um, Luis Diania FC from the third tier, 1-0. Second round, they beat SC Pombal 4-0, who are also from the fourth tier. And then their first Premier League scout came from Aruka, who they beat on penalties after going 1-0 up. And, you know, Aruka really needing a late equaliser to take it to penalties. I think Nuno Barbosa, 20-year-old striker, they signed from Rio Aves under 23, squad got the goal in that game. But yeah, this Gilvesene game, Albert, I mean, you know, they're on a great run of form in, in the cup. And it was a it was a great goal. Diego Rosado on a left wing with a great long range shot after a lovely calm bit of play from um, Miguel Lopez who put his foot on the ball and you know find Rosado. Albert, I've got some. Uh, I've got a really good question for you here. Mm. I don't know if you're gonna. I don't know if you know the answer. Actually, you might have done your research. Diego Rosado, the goal scorer for Lesser. Which English club has he paid for? <laughs> oh man, I did do my research, so I do. Oh. Know, but I, I wonder if our listeners all know. Well, look, so Diego Rosado played for Lesser. He signed it in the summer on a free transfer from second-tier Romanian side Concordia, right? This guy is such a journey. It is absolutely brilliant. So the English club, he played for, he played for Blackburn Rovers in 2012. He got Amazing. 88 minutes, I think, in the championship. You know, that's his time there. He got a yellow card in the FA Cup. You know, that's his cup <laughs> magic. <laughs> so this guy, this guy came through Sports Academy, though he's never played for them. He's played... um. Five games for Pastor Ferreira, 10 for the Victoria Suitable, and 17 games for uh, CD Thurens, uh in the Premier League of the top tier. So he's got a little bit of, you know, top tier experience. But um, yeah, man, he's played Romania, England, France, Angola, Cyprus. And I think it's interesting, isn't it, Albert, that I feel like in the last five years or so in England, we've started to see players, you know, going abroad to other leagues, looking for opportunities. And uh, But I would say that's quite recent. But I think when you look at Portugal, that's been happening for years. You know, Pedrinho for Gil Vicente in this game, you know, he, he he moved there from having played in Latvia last season. And I think it's really interesting to see that. I feel like Portuguese players have been doing that a lot longer and, and uh, you know, it's, been, it's good careers for them to move abroad sometimes and uh, play for different teams. Yeah, I think Rosado's got a really interesting career as well. He's 31 years old now. And I did see that he'd got quite a few youth uh, caps for Portugal at, at youth level. I think he's mm. capped at every age group up to under 21s which is quite interesting but then as you say spent the first half of his career in Portugal and then really went you know all over the place which is which is quite impressive and the thing I really enjoyed was as you say because this was a proper goal right mm. because often in these kind of giant killings you get a bit of a scrappy game you know you get maybe a scruffy goal here or there this was a proper finish you know and, and you can tell that this is a player with pedigree and, and what I like is that at 31 
He's now come back to Portugal. Let's face it, probably looking to wind down his career, you know, be a bit closer to home before he retires. But he gets a moment like this in the cup, right? And for players at lower league clubs who play in these competitions, this is what these moments are all about because he wouldn't get this moment in the league. You know, he's only going to get this moment in a cup like the Tesla Portugal. For Gil Vicente, their best showing in the cup is the, the quarterfinals, which they got to last year. I don't know if you agree with us, Albert, but I think they're in a stronger position this year. So this, you know, I think they've got to be so disappointed with this result, especially as Ricardo Suarez has guided Chavez to the semi-finals back in 2013. So this, you know, he's 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 done it before. They had a few changes to the team, but there's still a lot of players who've played a fair bit in the league. You know, like like Pedro mentioned, Mario, Ushiera, Lucas Cuna, Hackman. You know, and our man, our elder Santana, got his second start for the club. We got excited about him in the summer. I don't even remember when they, um, when they signed the big Brazilian striker because um, we found that highlights video of his where he scored that amazing, that mad bicycle kick. We posted. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you remember that? Yeah. So wow. he started. Well, I think he seems to be only getting, the only minutes he's getting is um, start stories. He seems to be coming in the cup. So he's had a few minutes in the league. So it'd be interesting if we, if we see more of him now. But um, he, he couldn't do anything in front of goal. It really is fairy tale stuff, isn't it? Albert? Like, <laughs> and it's, I feel like it's really hard to talk about the cup without banging out the cliches but like oh mate go for it this is a, this is inc- so incredible for Leicester I mean I listened to the Portuguese soccer.com podcast but um and on there he actually you know he was, before the weekend he was like keeping on Leicester Gilbert Vicente I think that could be a game I, I don't know why what, what what feeling he had but um yeah he wasn't he wasn't half wrong well fair play to him that's a great shout and as you say it was very tough stuff and you know Gilbert Vicente would be disappointed but I think in this moment they just have to accept that they're part of Lesser's story now. And, you know, this is really Lesser's success that we should be applauding. Well, look, USC Paredes then, Barney, the other Campeonato de Portugal team that made it through. Very different type of story because obviously they overcame a Liga Tres side in Torriens, who themselves probably would have seen this as a great opportunity to progress. But you could look at this game and think that, you know, either way, a lower league team was going to go through to the next round, which is always nice to see. And even more special that it was the fourth seer side that progressed. I'm guessing that most people like us won't know very much about Paredes. So allow me, Barney, to take you on a journey through the Paredes Wikipedia page because, you know, giant killings in this cup are not something new for Paredes. Now, Founded in 1924 in Paredes, a district in Porto. They spent the first 40 years or so in the Portugal regional competitions, but 1974 is when it starts to get interesting. They made their debut in the Portuguese Cup and knocked out second division side Bay Romar. Not too bad, but it doesn't stop there. 1979, they beat Vitoria Chetubal of the first division 2-0. And it continues in 1983, the glory days of USC Paredes. They reached the quarterfinals of the Portuguese Cup whilst competing in the third division and later that season got promoted into the second tier. And in 2006, Barney, in the Portuguese Cup, they played Sporting in the Albalade. They lost 2-1, but only thanks to a 90th minute penalty. So look, there you go. This is a team with cup upsets and success built into its DNA. You know, and this success that came for them this year, a 1-0 victory over Torrens, a headed goal from 33-year-old striker Pedro Correa, 190 centimetres tall, a proper header, by the way, from the left-hand side of the box, across the goal, left the keeper rooted on the spot, and it was a great goal and a deciding goal in the end. But what a story for this campeonato the Portugal side again, because as, as we mentioned with Lesser, getting through to this next round of the Tassel de Portugal with all the glamorous ties that are available in the next draw, you know, fantastic story and, and fantastic success for them. I'll tell you what I like, Albert. Uh, 
Well, because people can actually watch the whole game if they wanted to on YouTube. Yes. So I think this was one of two games that um, the Portuguese Football Federation actually put, streamed live on YouTube. I don't know if it was international or just in Portugal, but of course... Well, you can watch it. I watched it back in England today, so you can watch it back. Yeah, yes, yeah, so you can watch the whole game. But what I love about it is um, when there's a stadium, but you can see the car park. That's what I love. Those <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Oxford United got uh, that situation going on there. Mate, but... <laughs> I have great, I have great memories of going away to Oxford United and chanting, "You've only got three stands." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you know the YouTube thing. About, wouldn't that have been? I don't know if they've got like TV deals. Obviously, with some of the when the big clubs are playing, but like. Wouldn't that have been so good if like more games were, were available to watch live on YouTube? Because just because you know it just opens up to so much more people, it would gauge interest, you know. And because you know, we know very well doing this podcast that when it comes to like digging a little bit lower than Liga Pro for en- almost any information, it's so hard being able to watch these games and see the highlights this, this week has been it's been fantastic for you know looking at the smaller teams. Yeah, well, I think it was Cam Alonso who did two games on YouTube. Those two games are still out, I believe. So, you know, fair play to them for doing that because, as you say, that brings more, that you know, that brings more international eyes on the game and and, and easy access for people in Portugal to watch as well. I think Canalonzi are also the people who uh, are covering a lot of the women's football this year as well. So, you know, they seem to be doing some really good work uh, giving some exposure to parts of Portuguese football that maybe are neglected by Sport TV, uh, the main sports broadcaster. Uh, but yeah, definitely go back and watch that if you want to go back and watch all two hours of their broadcast. There's only one goal. Uh, <laughs> so you could just go and watch the 30-second highlight of that if you prefer. But the option is there to go back and watch all the coverage if you wish. Well, look, let's move a little bit further up the Portuguese football pyramid then. I'll talk about some Segunda Liga clubs in action this weekend. Casapia, currently third in the league, played for Rennes, a team we know very well, of course, from last year in the Primera Liga and who have really been struggling so far this season. Currently only 15th place in the league, so it probably wouldn't surprise anyone who really follows the second division that Casapia won the game 3-1. Now, the first goal, Barney, a lovely goal by Jota Silva, did really well to cut in from the left-hand side, and it's a nice long-range finish, but there's an elephant in the room for me, Barney, and it's the hair. Now, I saw a couple of people on Twitter referring to him as the Portuguese Grealish. And clearly this boy took a picture of Grealish to his last appointment at the Barbers because it is uncanny. And he's even got the little facial hair that Grealish has started to grow as well. Like... <laughs> it's the headband. It's the slicked back long hair, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not going to hammer him too much because he played really well. I thought his performance was excellent. It wasn't just Grealish's hair that he ripped off. He had a bit of a an air of Grealish as well in the way he played. I thought all three Casapia goals were excellent, to be honest. The second was a really nice header. And the third, of course, in the 95th minute to kill the game, an unbelievable left-footed free kick from Derek Poloni. Possibly not the best free kick we saw this weekend, but we'll come on to that very shortly. But yeah, three lovely goals. I highly recommend if you've not watched already, the highlights are available in full on YouTube for people to go and check out because there was some very good football on show. You know what I like, Albert, and what I find really interesting, Casapia playing five at the back. You know, because Portugal, obviously, is traditionally, you think of Portugal and you think of four, three, three, don't you? Mm. And this is, this is interesting. Do you know why left-backs in Portugal usually wear number five rather than number three, which they, where they traditionally wear in England? I think I do. It's because they count the numbers from right to left. So it's one for the goalkeeper, two on the yeah. right back, three, four, five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they, you know, so that's what I mean. Like you know, Portugal very much four at the back. That's that's mm. that's their bread and butter. But it's 
you know, do you think it is the success of Amarin and, you know, Jorge Jesus has obviously adopted it now that, you know, that, that we're seeing coaches like go that go to this five at the back. It's, it's interesting. It, it certainly worked for Casapir in this game. Well, I think it's something that you see in every country around the world, you know, these kind of regional conventions are becoming more and more watered down. That's just because football has become such a global game, you know. Scouting is so easy to do from your computer. You can see teams playing from all over the world. You can see coaches from all over the world playing. So I feel like it's not going to be that strange that these kind of, these local conventions uh, don't really have as much importance as they used to. And yeah, as you say, five at the back, it works for a lot of the big teams playing these days. So yeah, not surprised that they did well in that at all. Going on the other side with friends, I had a look at their squad. I don't think they even have three centre-backs to play uh, five of the bad. There seems to be, very, you know, because I was interested because, you know, the, the squad seems pretty much similar to the one they had last season in the Premier League. But when you look at the back, the, their options there are, are poor. But, you know, they, they've they've peppered it with some exciting loan signings like Bruno Paz from Sporting and that. But So I, I really am surprised that they're in the, the position they're in. Well, it's funny because we had that chat with Zay from Especially Sisters de Segunda in our season preview show. And we were all assuming that Friends would be up there with Rio Ave as one of the two best teams. You know, Rio Ave doing pretty well. Friends are completely dropped off. Very interesting. You know, obviously they lost Ryan Gould in the summer, such a big player for them. But I saw a lot of people online, Friends fans, saying things like the squad that they assembled for this Segunda League campaign was better than the one that they had in the Primera League. So it is a real surprise to see them doing so badly. the game was not good from their point of view, Barney, I thought. They were easily second best. Obviously, they got the consolation in the second half, but I don't think it was ever really lucky that they were going to win. The performance, I thought, was capped off, really, by a very bad red card in the 93rd minute. Lloyd Augusto had a kick out at a Casapir defender, yeah. pretty much out of frustration, then gets the red card and has another go at the advertising boards on his way off. So really poor attitude from him, really bad moment, and I think pretty much summed up their performance. Second best all night, I thought. The interested man, I think they're in trouble. Uh, the only thing, I, other thing I was going to say on friends was that um, the striker Pedro Henrique, who I was quite critical of last season, he seems to be he's got ten goals this season. He seems to be, you know, he's finding a bit of form. Perhaps he's found his not found his level, but you know, he's it's been good for him to to go down a league and build his confidence. Definitely. Well, let's move another step up then, Barney, into the Premier League teams, and let's first talk about. Benfica for passes to Ferreira one, a very dominant 4-1 win by, let's face it, a second string Benfica side. And second string might even be pushing it slightly because some of the names in this squad, Barney, were like memories from the distant past. There were names that I literally didn't even know some of these players still played for Benfica. Jetson Fernandez started in midfield. I had literally no idea, genuinely, that he was still at the club. I thought he played for Galatasaray. Right, I realise now that was only on loan last season. You, you've blown my mind there as well because I, 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 I just saw he's playing, but then when you said he was on loan at Galatasaray, I thought that was this season. No, no, that was last year. So he's come back, and I don't think he's played a minute of football up to now. Andre Almeida came into defence. Quite pleased to see that because he's back in back from his injury. I, I actually wanted to talk about Andre Almeida. Andre Almeida playing as one of those three centre backs. I like it. I like it a lot, and I think that's because you know we know Verismo's out. Yeah, he he looked good, man. I thought I thought that's that's going to be a really he's going to be a really important player for him. He's going to get minutes now in that position, and I think it I think it really suited him. Yeah, although because uh, a touch of the Portugal game, maybe not the highest standard, but no, he did very well. Morata played alongside the centre back. We saw players like Radon Radonjic starting, Helton late started, and when you look at the bench, I mean. Miles Sevilla, reserve goalie, was on the bench. I don't think I've ever seen him play. Valentino Lazaro, he doesn't really get any minutes. Tarab, do we know he's out of favour? And Ferro was on the bench, Barney. 
I mean, this was really a run out for the forgotten men. Not all of them made an impression. I mentioned Jensen. He was completely anonymous. Like, I feel like, I think, I believe he was replaced by Tarapt uh, at some point. I didn't even notice what happened. They were just trying to get him in the shop window, weren't they? They just wanted, they wanted him gone. <laughs> or Jorge Jesus wants him gone. Like. Yeah. And as you say, Andrew Almeida, I thought, was one of the few who came in and, and had a uh, had a good game because it was really the, the mainstay players of that team that won them this game. Uh, they didn't make it easy for themselves. Nil-nil at halftime. And going 1-0 down early in the second half was almost typical Benfica these days. But let's face it, they could have been 3-0 up at halftime. Um, four goals was more than justified for me. Lots of their players did well. Everton continued his good form. I thought he was rewarded with a goal. And I personally was delighted to see Severich come on and score. I don't know what's happened to me, Barney. Maybe I've gone soft, but when he was playing, I realised I really missed him. <laughs> <laughs> he don't know how good something is until it's gone, do you? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he's. I, I'm really interested in him out because I, I, you know, he got an assist as well, didn't he? Like, he's a good player. He's a great player. Like, you know, yeah. he's, fant- he's fantastic last year. I, I, scored 22 goals last year. I wonder if he's got if he's going to move. I, like, because they've got enough depth in that striking position. If if they're any, if they're going to keep this. This attacking free of Everton, Rafa and Darwin, which I was, you know, I think a good point for Fogus Hughes in this game was the fact that he did start those three, kept the momentum going, you know, because they obviously clicked before the international break and, you know, to keep that going. Uh, I think that was a good move. Yeah, but like, you know, they've got, if you know, Remshuk on the bench, they've got uh, Rodrigo Pino obviously, uh, got Carlo Ramos. That's a very rich, you know, he, he should have got his move in the summer. I, I, I want to see him playing. Um I mean, oh, I'd love a little low move for somewhere in the league, but I don't think that, that's going to happen. <laughs> no, he might go abroad. It's funny because he's he's actually linked with some quite big teams. I, I think mm. even West Ham were linked with him. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, and the funny thing is, he's got a great record. Like I said, 22 goals last season. It's just, you get a different impression when you actually watch him play 90 minutes week in, week out about his, you know, wasteful uh, <laughs> shooting. Sometimes, just to put it lightly, we've got to talk about Grimaldo's free kick, Barney. Oh my God. What a goal. What an incredible free kick. Am I, am I overreacting? This is one of the best free kicks I've seen in recent times, right? The distance that he's out, he's not on the edge of the box. He must be, what, 25, 30 yards out. And Left a weird footed, angle. And a strange angle. The power that he gets on the shot and the way he just gets it right into the corner of the goal. Every single aspect of that free kick was perfect. And, you know, a lot of people, I'm going to stick up for Grimaldo because I feel like it's become almost a little bit trendy to shit on Grimaldo, right? To say that he's not that good. Because, you know, and he doesn't, it's not helped by the fact that he gets linked with clubs like Barcelona and PSG. And for the record, I don't think he's that level. But I think he's at a great level for him. You know, he's he's playing at a good level in Portugal. He gets a run out in Europe. He plays in the Champions League, you know. And I think he's a decent left back. Look, he's probably not tested defensively. Um, So, you know, he probably gets away with a lot, but... There's so much quality when he, when he plays, and that free kick was just incredible. Yeah, it was a beautiful free kick. Uh, I actually wrote a joke here, but I didn't know how to. I didn't know what punchline to go with, so just should okay. I do it? So Grimaldi, yeah, he, he, he's surely the best left back in the league right now. Or do you think Sanusi's got something to say about that? Or do you think Manafar's got something to say that? Or, or do you think Makano's got something to say about that? <laughs> I didn't know which one. Or Nuno Santos or Mansur from Santa Clara. <laughs> Sorry, that was poor. But, I mean, I, I, I think obviously having come from Barcelona B, that Barcelona collection is always going to be there. In my mind as well, you know, Benfica were, were always going to cash in on him at some point. 
But he's getting a bit older, man. I don't, I don't know if this is the season. Like you said, he's put some, some serious performances also in the Champions League as well. So I I, I like him. I've, I've, I think, like I said, I think he's the best. He's definitely the best left back in the league for me. I think, uh, like I said, he's found his level. It's a good level for him. Can we talk about Nuno Santos scoring? <laughs> and what's good? So he's obviously Nuno Santos is on loan from Benfica, but he got right. to play against them in, in the cup. Like that, that's confused me. And then he got a lovely goal, by the way. That, a great finish. It reminded me of he scored one similar recently, I feel. Mm. But it, it was so awkward, wasn't it? Because <laughs> he, he obviously yeah. didn't celebrate, but then there was a few boos and you know, I think there's always gonna be there's always this sort of fan at any club, but there's definitely a few people who will be saying stuff like, What's he doing scoring? Why is he not scoring any goals? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why I think it is actually correct that lone players shouldn't play against their clubs because it's such a conflict of interest. And mm. it's also, you know. It's genuinely confusing for the player. I'm sure he is conflicted. You know, he's a professional, so I'm sure he'll play. But afterwards, those emotions must be must be quite strange. So yeah, I definitely think you know players should not be playing against their parent clubs on loan. I don't care if it's just a cup competition. You know, it's it's still not right. But at that point as well, you know, that was passes going one 0 up, and the, some of the fans might be thinking, right, well, we're fucking losing now. And like, well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was funny, but. Um... I've got to say, Albert, like, you know, I really thought Benfica were having a blip like, like a month ago. And now I'm just like, you know, they're looking so good. They're, you know, because mm. this, this this was a, a fairly strong pass side. You know, there was maybe one or two changes, you know. Um, but, you know, they absolutely got, you know, Benfica looked so good, so attacking. They were very dominant. Like I said, you know, don't let the fact that they went 1-0 down for you. They dominated from start to finish. And honestly, if they'd won this game 5 or 6 no, I don't think anyone would have been surprised. And that was with quite a few uh, rotated players. Well, look, let's do our last game, Barney. And I think we've saved the best till last, or at least we've saved the biggest scoreline till last, uh, as Braga beat Santa Clara 6-0. And the star of the match was the young striker, Vitinha, who got four goals. Let me just repeat, four goals. That makes it six goals in two games in this competition for him. What a night for the young lad and what a way to announce yourself to the fans, to your teammates and to your manager because he's only recently been involved in the first team. I mean, this guy looks... Yeah, where where where, where are they hiding him? Like, you know, what... <laughs> and why were they... Why, why did they buy Mario Gonzalez if they've got him? This guy is so good. He looks absolutely unreal. Like, I mean, it, this game is... For anyone, if people need to find the highlights, need to watch it and watch his goals because every single one, this guy is a proper, proper strike. He has everything though, you know, and he got to he showcases that in the four goals and, and the other chances he had. He's just, you know, his hold up play, his pace, his physicality, his finish, finishing. It's just like, oh, it's absolutely, it's absolutely to die for. And it's, it's exactly what Braga have been <laughs> needed this season. It's been, it's just perfect. Well, let's talk about those goals, Barney. It took him 15 minutes to get a hat trick. And then he got his fourth goal in the 50th minute. Now, I think the fourth goal, personally, was the best one. The three, the first three were great finishes, good poachers finishes, exactly what you're, stri- what you're striking to be doing. But that fourth goal was such a hard-working solo goal that he carved out for himself and really earned. So that was what really impressed me the most. It's great to do him, see him doing well because, one, he's a Braga youth team product. And two, because, as you say, we've seen the issues that Braga have been having up front you know, the whole of this season and, and arguably since Portinho left. So, you know, if they have on, if they could unearth a gem like that from their own academy, it would just be perfect for them. I've got a serious question about uh, Galeno. 
when did he become right footed? I swear this guy was left footed. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally this game where I realized like when he took the penalty, it was right foot, and like he had a shot of his right foot. And I'm like, this guy's right. <laughs> I just this, I no, don't think no, no, he no. played on the left. He scored some wonderful goals with his right foot. When I was when I was in Braga, he scored that amazing goal. Yeah, I do remember that. Cutting on his right. That's maybe so, when yeah. I had the four. I was like, that's a hell of a right foot. For, that's a hell of a hit for his weak foot. And then <laughs> it's great for Braga. They won a cup last season, didn't they? So these are the this is the competition when it's knockout football. It's not like the you know having to go the whole season to, to get. But they can they can have success in these cup competitions. I mean, they're they're rampant. They were rampant, and yes, they're playing a, a poor Santa Clara side. Like they're in real trouble. I don't know if we should save that chat for when we talk about them in the league because you know this is this is scary stuff for them. I mean, I don't really even know what to say. I haven't really got anything extensive in my notes other than the worrying times really do continue. There's rumors of an exodus in January, rumors that Marito, Alano, and Lincoln would all be leaving. Another sporting director left, as you mentioned. They've already lost. The manager who did so well for them, they already lost Carlos Jr., Cardoza, the centre-back. Really, really worrying times. I don't think we're going to spend too much time talking about what's going wrong with them because that's a whole conversation for another time. But yeah, as you say, things are going south very quickly. And it's it's performances like this where they seem to, so negative, so almost gave up in parts, you know, you could start to see the effort the lack of effort, sorry, from some of these players. And, you know, that's when, you know, things are really going wrong. It's so true. And I haven't got the stats in front of me, but honestly, I don't know how many shots on target they had compared to Braga. But, you know, the numbers would have been embarrassing. But look, as you say, this was a great night for Braga and a great opportunity for them to progress uh, in a cup competition. We know how important these cups are. Um when I spoke to Carlos Cavalier, he uh, did say how pleased he was. <laughs> he did say how pleased he was with winning the cup last year. And I think for a club whose main aim in the league is basically finishing fourth, you know, Arsene Wenger will tell you, Bonnie, there's no trophies for finishing fourth. There's no silverware. So to be able to get your hands on silverware in a competition like that is is really important for a club of Braga's size. I'm just... Braga the Portuguese Arsenal. I'm literally just there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should have realised that earlier. That's a, that's a great comparison. <laughs> well, look, that brings us to the end of our Tassa de Portugal roundup for this week. Obviously, there were a lot of other games. We haven't quite got time to cover them all. So just to run through, who will be in the pot for the next round draw? You've got Sporting, Casapia, Portimonense, Benfica, Lesser. Vizela, Crioav, Braga, Famalicão, Porto, Estoril, Prior, Paredes, Bisad, Mafra, Morarens, and Tondela. They were all the winning sides from this round of the Tassa de Portugal. We don't know when the next round draw will be, but we look forward to another round of exciting cup football. Well, look, we're going to leave it there. But before we go, the Primera Liga returns this weekend. So me and Barney are both going to pick a game of the week. If you watch one game, make sure it's one of these. Barney, what is your pick for game of the week this weekend? Oh, I feel like it's a great week. I, I, I'm pretty much spoiled for choice. Every week's a great week in the Premier League. Barney. Every week's a great week. Porto Vitoria on Sunday, 8.30. Of course. That's really nice. I think I'm going to pick that one. I think that could be good. I, I fancy Porto for it, but then I think um, Pepper's starting to get Vitoria going, isn't he? Yeah, they, they're, they're slowly on the up and they're looking decent. But, you know, Porto look fantastic. Uh, we'll have to see what they do in the Champions League. Maybe they'll be on a high. 
uh, and they might be ready to dominate. But no, I agree, that would be a fantastic game. Well, I think that is the best choice of the weekend. But if you're looking for something a little bit more niche, can I offer you a long ball football special, two clubs that we love talking about every week. That's Family Cow versus Portman Ends on Saturday at 3.30. If you want something a little bit different for your Saturday afternoon, I highly recommend that. That's going to be a lovely little game. I think me and Barney will both be watching that. And then uh, it's it's all the way to next Tuesday. Um, Braga Vazella, I think, would also be a nice little game. Uh, to, to keep. That was, that's my outside job. But yeah, absolutely. Family Cow, Portman Ends, 3.30 Saturday. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, it's going to be another great weekend, but we've got to leave it there for this week's episode. We'll be back next week rounding up all those games and more. If you enjoyed listening, why not leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts, if that's your chosen podcast provider. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can find us on Twitter at LongBallFootball, and we're always happy to get involved in any conversations that uh, you want to have. But that just leaves me to say... Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.